you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes. So, think back. This is week number five on this twisted truth. And I think um, the deeper we get, the longer that we really need to go on this issue that there's truth and it's been presented as the truth but it's twisted we could say that twisted truth is actually a lie would we agree that twisted truth is a lie and there's been lies that have been bought into by people in the body of christ if they're not exposed, then we just continue to go along walking toward this cliff. If nobody tells us, hey, you're about to fall off a cliff here, thinking the whole time that we've got the truth and we're going the right way. And so I'm taking the responsibility as one called by God in a local church to stand up and tell us the truth and Drawing the line, if you will, between lies and the truth. And it's a heavy thing that we need to do. It's, a, it's something that we have to, have to face. So I'm asking you to put your thinking cap on. You know, when you go in school, they tell you, no, no, come on. Uh, you had your Wheaties, your Cheerios, your Fruit Loops or whatever. Now you're sitting down. Put your thinking cap on so that we can dive into the word and let's think. I think half the church is asleep without their thinking cap on. We need to, we need to get back to uh, the, the Spirit of God leading us into the Word of God. The Word of God. And not just my opinion or not just picking up someone else's uh, sermon and just re-preaching. A lot of people re-preaching what they heard the most popular uh, sermons and the most popular preachers preaching. And so for the first, uh, well, last week we talked about emotionalism um, in, in the church and this self-helpism. We can help ourselves, and we believe that all the way to the point where we really don't even need God's help. Or we want to try to connect to God through our emotions and how, uh, how we feel. And God is so good that he doesn't, he doesn't ever tell us anything to make us feel bad. And so last week we looked at that. But this week I kind of want to take a, a, a step back and talk about a dangerous tactic of the enemy. This is uh, a, a tactic is a scheme or a strategy that the enemy uses to try to... Um, uh, trick us. One of these great tactics the enemy has used all the way from the beginning of time is the tactic of redefining words and questioning, questioning God's word. We know that we've seen from the Bible that, that we're living in the last days and that deception is on the increase. We shouldn't be surprised that people are being deceived on the left and, to, and, and on the right. And we know that there's deception and false teaching in the church. But how did it get in? How did it get in? I believe it got in because most people never believe, uh, moved from a believer to a disciple. We just, we're content with just believing that Jesus is who he says he is, 
And we're great with the relationships that we form in church, but we never go deeper into finding out from the living word who Jesus is and how to rightly divide the, li- the living word of God so that we're able to help people with the truth and help them break free from lies. Another reason I think that we've gotten into this place is because there's false teaching out that's filled with error. Look at Isaiah chapter, well, you're right there in, in, in 3 John. Just stay right there. They're going to put Isaiah 5.20 up on the screen. I want, I want us to take a look at this. This was a prophecy by Isaiah thousands of years ago. And he said this by the Spirit of God. He was calling Israel back to the worship of God. And he says this, woe. That word woe can be translated how horrible it will be. The word woe, W-O-E. Nobody uses that word today, right? You don't say woe. The Georgia Bulldogs lost last night. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, don't remind me. Whoa. How horrible it will be to those who call evil good and good evil. There's a twisting. Evil good, good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so the spirit of God is calling out those who twist things. Would you agree with that based on this scripture? Whoa, it's not good. How horrible it will be for those who take the truth and twist it into a lie. And so we need to recognize that God is clear about the danger of twisting and putting a spin on the truth. When we fail to confront, we confirm with our silence. Pointing, pointing back to the video. If we don't say something, then we are confirming our agreement with what we see or what we hear. Guys walking off the cliff. We have the power to tell him, wait, wait, the cliff, you're, you're about to go over. And if we don't, then we're responsible. Is that right? It's time to confront with a spirit of compassion. And we can confront in the spirit of compassion. That's one lie that we're going to talk about in just a moment, uh, that, that, that people want us to believe this lie that we cannot confront without being nasty. They say, if you confront me, you disagree with me, then you don't love me and you don't have compassion. But that's actually a lie. That's a lie. Here's third John chapter uh, third John. It's only one chapter third John two. I want, I want to read this. This is One of my favorite scriptures, but I'm going to read it out of the NIV version. It says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Telling how you continue to walk 
in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Right? This was a pastor named John that was writing to other Christians. And he, he said he had great joy knowing that those that, that grew up or that came to know Jesus and grew up under his ministry were walking in the truth. Imagine if you heard that some of those were not walking in the truth. It would be concerning, wouldn't it? It would even bring a little bit of sadness or sorrow, wouldn't it? And so it, it is concerning. And it does bring a little bit of uh, sorrow to us when we hear that half of the body of Christ is not walking in all the truth. And so this is, this is where uh, our heart is. We, we want people to know the truth, but we want people to walk in that truth. One thing to know it is another thing to walk in it and grow in it. The more we grow in the truth, the more easily we'll recognize a lie. The more sensitive we can be in this culture that is twisted and confused. So God wants us to walk in the truth. And if we refuse to grow in the word, then we're not going to recognize error when we see it or when we hear it. If we don't confront, then we are confirming what the enemy says. There's a deceiver. And this deceiver has been deceiving from the very beginning. If you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, this deceiver came on the scene when Adam and Eve were in the garden. And look at the, look at the very first words. Everybody say first words. First words are very important. Look at the first words that the deceiver said to humankind. To man and woman. Here, here it is. Verse 1 of Genesis 3. New International. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. Did God really say. <laughs> that you must not eat from any tree in the garden. This was the enemy's first words spoken to mankind. Did God really say. Which proves that the enemy has been listening to God. And the, the enemy will, will take what God says, throw it back to you, but twist it and say, did God really say? Did God really say? And if you don't know what God said, either number one, you don't know what to believe. Or if you don't know what God said, number two, you could be sold a lie. So, it's important to know what God said. This is how Adam and Eve first got into the situation that they were in. Right? Imagine if Eve would have recognized this lie and said, No, that's not the truth. That's what we have to do every day, guys. No. That's not the truth. Everybody say that with me. No, 
That's not the truth. Now, we can say no compassionately, right? (laughs) But we still have to say what? No. I still have to say what? No. I still have to say what? No. No. If somebody came to your house to rob you, would you open the door and let them in? Say, here, let me get you a bottle of water while you're working there. Uh, I'll help you back the truck up here. Come on back a little bit to the left here. Uh, okay, you're good. Open the door. While you're working, I'll go, I'll go get you some lunch. I'll be back. Here's some water. Help yourself. But listen, a lot of us in the body of Christ have, have done just that with the enemy. Open the door, let him in, serve him while he's ripping us off, and then wonder what happened. We have to use the word what? No. No. You have to keep the door shut. You have to know the truth or you'll buy the lie. You have to know the truth or you'll buy the lie. Look at John 17. John 17. The enemy has never stopped attacking the truth. And here's the second point. The enemy will never stop attacking the truth. Because the truth is powerful. The truth will set you free. And the enemy doesn't want people to be free. He wants them to remain bound and blinded and crippled and mute. And so he attacks the truth. Guys, it's not a personal thing. The enemy is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care who you are as long as you don't say the word no and as long as you don't know the truth. The truth. Not a truth. Or not your truth and his truth and her truth. It's the absolute truth that sets free. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? Truth. What is the truth? God's word is the truth. It's not just one of the truths. It is the truth. It is the only truth. The word of God defines it as the truth. When we get into this relativism, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Everything's relative. Everybody can have their own truth, and we need to be good with that. That's what the world says. That's, that's a dangerous slope to fall off. Look at Psalm 119, 160. Remember, the enemy has never stopped attacking the truth. Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures Forever. Doesn't change. The world changes. And we acknowledge that the world changes. And social acceptance changes. But God's word never changes. It is the truth yesterday. It is the truth today. And it will be the truth tomorrow. God's word 
never changes. If you want to stand on something that is solid, stand on the Word of God. The world is calling us to, to, to leave the Word of God, to come off the Word of God. And half the church is, is, has, has left the Word. It's old. It's antique. It really doesn't mean what it says. Is what the more educated, progressive Christians say. But listen, the Word stands forever. God doesn't change His mind. He doesn't wake up one day and say, Oh, you know, that's really not what I meant. Here, let me change this. (laughs) God's Word is truth. And because we have the truth, there can be a lie. You can't have a lie without the truth. No more than you can have a fake $5 bill if you don't have the real $5 bill. So we need to know what the real truth is, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so there's the tactics that the enemy uses with people and words. We're talking about words today and how words are defined. What are, what are those precious and valuable words that we use that the enemy has tried to hijack and twist and redefine and reinvent? Those words that whenever you get into a conversation with someone, they're saying one thing, but you mean another thing. What are those words, these tactics that the enemy uses? He's, he's taking these words and redefining them in order to promote this twisted truth. And he's become proficient at it because he's been doing it for thousands of years. Remember, at the very beginning, he's twisting words. Did God really say? And he's been saying, did God really say since then? And so there's there's things that happen to stop a discussion. You ever been discussing something with somebody from the heart? And you really feel like you're moving somewhere. And there's there's agreement and and they're sharing with you. and And then all of a sudden, the discussion stops. There's reasons for that. The first reason is we we don't agree on the meaning of a word. We can't move forward in a discussion when we don't agree on the meaning of a word. So it's important that we clearly define what we're talking about. If we're talking about the word love, then what does love mean? What does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? And if I define love by the Bible, then I am obligated to bring the Bible into the discussion. But those that have twisted the words for their own purposes stop the discussion whenever they're opposed to their version of the word. We're going to get into the definitions of those words in in a few minutes. But with the idea, if I'm discussing something with you and I don't agree with your definition of the word... If I stop the discussion because we don't agree, then I have the last word and I win. And that's the way it goes. The second thing that stops the discussion is an emotional reaction. Emotional reaction. I never knew this, but studied it out. And there's a, uh, there's a division in the brain that uh, separates emotion from logic. And research has shown us that when the amygdala part of the brain that is tied to the emotions uh, 
is confronted, uh, the, when, the, when the brain is confronted with a thought, it, it, it takes this thought, the amygdala, which controls the emotional side, and the prefrontal cortex controls the logical side. If this thought uh, comes into the brain, the amygdala automatically responds, the emotional part. That when the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala compete, the amygdala always wins. And so people respond emotionally because that's how we're designed. And we don't even understand how that works, but we have to train ourselves to respond logically rather than emotionally. And so the enemy pushes points of discussion into an emotional place to where people shut down. They can't discuss things without becoming emotional. I don't know if you've had, ever had anybody in your family like I have, but I had someone in my family that, has, uh, that told me, there's, there's two things that you don't discuss in this house. What are they? Religion and politics. Why? Because they didn't want to become emotional. They wanted to stay logical. And they knew that whenever that discussion came up that they were going to become emotional and no one wins a battle of emotions. Would you agree to that? That's why we have to be consistent in what we believe without compromise, but we have to be at the same time compassionate. And so there is a, a war that goes on whenever we get into discussion and one part of the brain wins over the other part. And this is why propaganda writers, people that create propaganda, phrase their arguments with inflammatory language intended to trigger the emotions. If you've heard this phrase, trigger words, people use trigger words in order to trigger the emotions so that you're not thinking logically. And you understand that when people are emotional, they're not thinking logically. They, they do things and act on their emotions rather than logical. You see somebody that does something illogically and you think, oh, how could they do that? Well, they were triggered by their emotions and they followed their emotions and it led them into the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? So emotions are very powerful and the enemy uses it to twist the truth and then draw us into a discussion that nobody wins. The, the third thing is buzzwords. The details are blurred with buzzwords. Here's some buzzwords. Intolerance. Bigotry. And if you don't know what certain words mean, at that point, when you're having a discussion with somebody that you care about, you should stop and say, hold on just a minute. Let me look that up. Would you permit me to look that up just a minute? Because I really want to understand. I don't want to assume that you're insulting me by using that word. What do you mean when you use that word? Guys, this is where we really need some coaching and some help here, right? Where we learn how to be compassionate without compromising what we believe. Where in the past we just throw up this wall and say, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. Come back to me when you figure out what you know. <laughs> Come on. Come on. 
The fourth thing that the devil does in these discussions is make somebody look like the bad guy. If I can make you look like the bad guy, then I win, right? So, when, uh, when you have the opposing view of uh, the marriage, you know, that, 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 that sex is for a marriage relationship, husband and wife, that God made sex for this union between husband and wife, and that's where he... Uh, designed for that sexual relationship to to live in the mar- in the confines of that relationship between husband and wife, then you're the bad guy to the view of everybody should be able to have sex with whomever they want, no matter the gender, the age, the relation, or number of participants. This is becoming more and more the common view of society. Again, Jesus, Jesus prayed this prayer to the Father, and he said, Lord, keep them from the evil of the sword. Don't take them out of the world, right? Because then we, we wouldn't be the salt and the light that's necessary for this world. But keep them from the evil of this world. So we have to understand how the world is thinking so that we can have a defense for what we believe that God has designed sex for this intimate relationship between husband and wife. But the world is saying, love is love. You've heard that that statement. Love is love, which means everyone should be able to have sex with whomever they want, no matter what the gender, age, relation, or number of participants. Love is love. How can you regulate love? And God gave us love, and he made us to love one another, and how can you say that this person can't love that person. Are you going to be the bad guy? You mean you don't want people to love other people? So the devil plays us for the bad guy. And people change word definitions to make their agenda sound more appealing and to hide their true motives. And guys, it has been happening for a long time. And the church needs to wake up, but not out of anger. Not out of anger. Out of compassion. Listen to what, what we're saying. Here's some targeted words. Number one, love. <laughs> Why would the enemy target the word love? Because everyone loves Love, provided that they can define it for themselves, right? This one word means so much that someone can say in our English language that I love this fall weather, I love pumpkin pie, I love my dog, and I love my wife. And, and mean four different things <laughs> with those things that we call love. It's such a deep and complex concept that even in the Greek, when, when, when we see the word love, it's defined in four different ways. And so to say, use that word love, you really need to define what you mean by love. 
And because people use it in so many different ways, it's easy for someone to twist it and redefine it as it fits their purpose and change the meaning whenever you need to change the meaning. Today's world, really, to love someone means to blindly accept whatever that person believes, even if their beliefs contradict reality. And if you disagree with them, you make them feel uncomfortable and you're labeled, you wear that label, unloving. You're unloving. You made me feel uncomfortable. After all, didn't Jesus say, love your neighbor? And you're not loving me. That's common today, isn't it? It's nearly impossible for us to comprehend in our mind that we could possibly love someone that we disagree with. Even, even in our relationships as Christians, we, 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 we tend to get offended and we say, well, you don't love me. And the other person is, well, why do you say I don't love you? Well, because you didn't. And automatically we're defending and offense, offense and offense. And I'm offended because you're offended. And now I'm offended and you're offended. And love. We define love as we see fit instead of how God defines love. So we know, <laughs> yeah, we need help. First John chapter four and verse seven and eight. Somebody put that up on there on the screen. First John four, seven and eight. God defines love because, because, because God is love. If he's love, he should be the one to define love. And so we need to go back to God's definition of love. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so if we declare that the Bible says that God is love, then that is the truth. And this is what we base our life on. This is what we base our definition on. And does God love all people? Yes, he does. He loves all people. But love also says an important word, no. Love draws boundaries. And love doesn't just go along with sin. We're going to talk about sin in just, in just a little bit. But love doesn't agree with sin. And this is a problem that we have with the definition of love. And the world's definition of love. Well, if you love me, then you love me just like I am with all of my sin. And yes, God does love you, but God does have standards and boundaries. And when he says, don't walk off the cliff because there's this law of gravity that if you walk to the edge and walk off, I love you so much to warn you that you're going to lose your life if you walk off the edge of the cliff. That's not hateful when God says, wait. Don't walk any further. <laughs> right? So it's better when we let God define love from his word. In fact, the love chapter says, in verse, uh, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, it says that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in and with the truth. So you can see that love and truth are connected. 
And to have love, you have to have what? Truth. You have to have the truth if you have love. Love is a person, and God loves us in spite of the times where we disagree with him and reject his truth. Now, truth is the next word we're going to talk about, and it's, it's a hot word these days. People in the world want to put the pronoun in front of truth, like my truth, your truth, his truth. Everybody should be entitled to have their truth. But this is what makes relativism relative. We all have our right to our own version of the truth. And this phrase has been adopted for many years. You're entitled to your truth. And sometimes we've even been guilty of just allowing people to, to, to stop this conversation and say, well, you're just entitled to your version of the truth. No. There is the truth. The truth. And if we can't agree on the truth, then we just need to agree to disagree. In compassion and in love. It's defined in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. You know, God's not the author of confusion. And so God doesn't confuse what he defines the truth as, what he defines love as, what he defines sin as. God clearly shows us from his word the definition so there is no confusion. In the kingdom of God... And in God's camp, in God's house, there's no confusion of what God has said that truth is and that love is. 2 Timothy 2.14, the New Living, New Living Translation says, Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. See, God doesn't want us to be confused. Such arguments are useless and can ruin those who hear them. So when we're arguing over the word, what do we do? We go to the source of truth. What does God define this word as? What does God define this word called truth? We said it before, John 17, 17. Jesus said this, sanctify them by your truth, by the truth. Your word is the truth, the truth. If Jesus said that, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then God is, is truth, and he knows truth, and he has truth, and he speaks truth, and this is the truth. But because the culture around us has purposely redefined the word truth, it has shaken the foundation of our reality. And children, you see this in children, if the foundation of reality is shaken... They hesitate, children hesitate to hold any convictions because of the outright denial of reality and truth. Scientists even today will try to disprove reality with their science and hold to their science in the face of reality that proves their science to be wrong. Guys, we're living in a post-truth, post-modern day 
where the devil has confused people to the point where they don't know what to believe. Nothing to them is true. Nothing to them is real. And the further and further we go on into this, uh, what, do, what, what do we call it? Information age. It's been called a, a digital revolution to where we're filling our eyes and our mind with things that aren't even real. It's hard for us to recognize what reality is, right? And listen, it's all a plot, ploy, plan, scheme of the enemy. We're in a place, guys, where if we say anything against anyone's personal truth, we're labeled unloving, bigoted, intolerant, and a bully. Just because we stand for the truth of God's word. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This is truth. So the next word, tolerance. Tolerance. We're not called to make truth tolerable. We're called to make truth clear. You can check this video out on YouTube if you just put in the words um, white male and Chinese woman. (laughs) But the students at University of Wisconsin-Madison would rather agree that a medium height 5'9 white male interviewer was actually a six foot four Chinese woman than be accused of being intolerant. Go see it for yourself. It's, it's about seven minutes long, and I wanted to show it, but I can't. I just don't have the time. But check it out yourself. It has three, point, three and a half million views on this video. It's a white male, 5'9", is interviewing these students at this college. And because they are taught to be tolerant, they don't want to say that this man is not a Chinese woman that is claiming to be six foot four. It is, it's sad, but it's funny at the same time. It, it, it is where our culture has, has become. Intelligent young people denying the facts in, in the hope of being tolerant. The word tolerance no longer means to live peaceably with people of different beliefs. It now means that all beliefs, no matter how bogus, must be treated as equally, equally legitimate. This is the word tolerant. And if you're not tolerant, if you don't equally legitimize my truth, you're intolerant. You're a bigot. You're a bully. Romans 14, if you want to write that down, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just read the whole chapter of Romans 14. It's devoted to being tolerant. This is what God's word defines as tolerant. It means, it means this. It means living in peace even though you may disagree. By not offending or judging. And so it talks about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols and other matters that were disputed among Christians. And Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit and trying to get us to walk in unity and peace without 
without this contention. Oxford, Oxford Dictionary still uh, defines the word tolerant as this. The ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behavior that one dislikes or dis- disagrees with. So thankfully, that definition includes two words, dislike or disagree with. So I can dislike something that you're doing, and I can disagree with it, but I can still be tolerable. I can still tolerate you, which means I can still love you, even though I disagree with you, even though you're doing something that I dislike, right? But the world has said, if you disagree with me and you dislike what I do, you're intolerant. So they've redefined the word making anybody that opposes them the bad guy. Guys, we have to admit that we're living in a time of offense where people are living offended and they expect to be offended. Touchy and emotionally controlled. And there are times where you do all that you can do to not offend people and people still choose to be offended. And there's no way around that. So, we have to live in such a way that we don't get offended, that they're offended. And how do you do that? Forgive. You have to forgive. You have to see people like Jesus sees people, like the Father sees people, through eyes of compassion and love. I didn't say you have to agree with what they're, what they're, what they're saying and what they're holding as their truth. But we do have to walk in love with each other and with people that are in the world. People that are vehement against the word of God. People that are, as the word of God says, antichrist. False prophets. They're out there to destroy the Bible and anything that's associated with the word of God. We still have to walk in love, but we have to, we have to draw the line. We do have to stand up and we do have to stand for the truth and we do have to speak out what we know to be true. Are you hearing me? When you encounter people who claim that you're being intolerant, are they asking for people to accept their belief as equally true? Or are they asking for people to live with them in peace despite their disagreement? And you may phrase it like that. Are you asking me to agree that what you say is true? Because I can't do that. But I can love you and I can live in a tolerable way. Tolerance has essentially been regulated to a place of neutrality. Where a person is prohibited from having strong strong convictions about anything. The only strong conviction a person is permitted to have is to say, everyone is equally right. And I can't say that everyone's equally right. Not based on the Bible. Because the truth says that God is right. The common thought of today is, you, if you should deny anyone's right to be right, 
then you are intolerant. Guys, this is so twisted. This is so twisted. And, And at times we've bought into this thinking that we were being loving. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to draw a line. We don't want to hurt anyone. So we, we just go along with them. It's just like that video. That one guy sitting in the chair going, Shh, don't, tell, don't, don't, don't tell them, don't tell them, don't tell them. They're falling off the cliff. Wait. <laughs> the truth is, if you, if you fall, then you're going to die. The one guy says, shh, he won't like us. The other guy says, He'll be dead. (laughs) What does it matter if he doesn't like us? People that are living offended are already offended. It doesn't matter what you say or what you don't say to them. But guys, as Christians, we have to stand for the truth. The truth of God's word, which means you need to know what you firmly believe. We're living in a day where you need to know what you believe and not just think Because you call yourself a Christian that you know the Bible. We've got to become smarter where the word's concerned. We have to be students of the Bible. We have to know how to to defend our belief. This is where we fall down. We think, well, it really doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It really does matter. What do you believe about these words that I've said. I'm getting getting looks like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. Love and truth and tolerance. Let's go to another one. Justice, equality. Justice and equality. The truth is today, every social problem is now being defined in terms of justice and equality. It's the battle cry of all of these movements If we want to redefine marriage, we fight for marriage equality. If we want to organize a women's march, we fight for gender justice. Do people make different wages? That's economic injustice. We need to fight for economic justice. And the media, guys, feeds off of groups that are demanding justice and equality. Why? Because they're pushing emotional buttons. And stirring up the emotions keeps people watching the news. If you say anything against any of these movements, most people think that you're good with all the injustice and all the inequality in the world. Just be quiet. Don't say anything about these movements. Don't say anything about the debate from, about minimum wage and free health care for everyone. Don't say anything about transgender people should be able to compete in sports as whatever they identify as at the moment, regardless of their birth gender. That's going on, guys. It's happening. And in the church, we're just, shh, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Shh. We don't want to offend anybody. While the world's going at it. And we have the truth. And we're sitting quietly hoping not to offend anyone, but they're already offended. And truly, let me say this, truly there are injustices and there are inequalities in our world. Why? Because it's not perfect. We don't live in heaven on earth. 
there's sin on the earth. And that's why we see inequalities and injustices. Where we go wrong is we try to identify them outside of the word of God. And then we don't trust God to make things right. We take things into our own hands. And again, we think, you know, who are we to say that people haven't been treated fairly or unfairly or justly or unjustly? But we need to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It's it's the parable of the talents. And God, God in his wisdom gave certain talents to certain people. Certain number of talents to certain people. And who is going to say that God was unjust? Well, the one that got one talent should have gotten the ten talents. That was unjust. I don't think it's right to tell God that he's unjust. Because God is just. We don't see like God sees. Who are we to say what's just and what's unjust? But we fall into the trap of the enemy to think that our first and foremost purpose as the body of Christ is to change the society we live in. This is very important. We make the gospel a social gospel when God didn't call the body of Christ to make the gospel a social gospel. He called us to preach the good news, to change the hearts of men and women so that they would change their family, their community, their world, right? The change starts from the inside out, not from the outside in. Jesus didn't lead a social movement of the day. Think about it, guys. We don't need somebody to come on the scene who is super Christian that leads a social movement to change all these inequalities and and injustices. So we don't need to get into the debate and discussion about justice and equality like we have as the church has fallen into that trap. Focus on getting the good news to people and watching their lives change. One after another, after another, after another. The devil's trying to draw draw us off in debating and redefining these words of justice and equality. God is just and he is equal. He, He knows equality. He knows what he's doing and I trust him. How about the word bigot? Bigot means this. If you look at the definition, a person who has who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices. Again, notice the word intolerantly. Bigot is a person who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her uh, own opinions and prejudices. Like I said earlier, these days anybody who, who makes what is perceived to be an exclusive statement is automatically labeled a bigot. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, that's a bigoted claim. Do you believe the, the, in the biblical definition of marriage between a uh, man and woman for life? Then you're a bigot. If you deny that all paths lead, uh, do you deny that all paths lead to the same God? Again, you're a bigot. But that's not what the word says popular opinion right now is that 
All ideas are equally, equally legitimate, and anyone who does not agree with that statement is a bigot. That's what the world defines this word as. So where does that leave us? We have to stand firmly on the truth while refusing to be labeled as a bigot, which requires us to act in a way that we're not intolerant. That's the key. Because bigotry means that you're intolerant of any other view. Listen, God himself loves people that are on their way to hell. And he gives them a right to believe whatever they believe in. I, as a Christian, cannot force anyone to believe what I believe. Do you agree with that? But I can admit that in the past, I have been so focused on the gospel and so passionate about it, it comes off as, it is transmitted as, you have to believe what I believe for me to love you. And that's wrong. We have to be able to love people that don't believe like us. But you have to know what you believe. And God's not asking us to turn the passion for the truth down. He's asking us to turn the compassion for people up. Two more words. Authentic. (laughs) Authentic. People just want to know that we're real. And for years, the church act like we were so perfect that we were unreal. And so some years ago, I don't know how many years ago, this word came into the church of authentic. Let's be authentic. And it was originally intended to encourage people to admit their weaknesses, confess sin, and move away from appearing to be perfect. And listen, the church adopted this word wholeheartedly. And people in the church now are using... uh, that word in a wrong way. (laughs) If a person is using the word authentic to describe someone who doesn't hide their struggles, then that's healthy. But if this word authentic is used to describe someone's apathy about struggling over sin or blatant acceptance of sin, then that's not healthy. If you found yourself saying, well, I'm just authentic and... I'm just, I'm just in this way and I just have these issues and I'm just authentic. That's flat out rebellion. Covered up with Christian lingo. And Paul warned about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can read it later, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5, people were so proud of God's grace. The Corinthians were so proud of God's grace that they rejoiced in or took delight in sin. And there's been some in the body of Christ that have been so uh, embracing of God's love and God's grace that they aren't responsible for their sin. That's when authenticity can become an excuse for not being responsible to do God's word. 
And so you can see how the enemy took that term. I'm not saying that that term is wrong. I'm not saying that any of these terms are wrong. But the enemy will take these words and twist them, get people in a discussion. And make someone look like the bad guy. How about the word sin? Sin has become so watered down that there's no need to change or conform to God's standard. And one tactic has been to just erase this word right out of the word of God. If we don't call it sin, this has been happening for a long time. If we don't call it sin, if we just call it issues, then we're okay. We don't have to change. And everyone has issues. And if we reduce them to just issues, then God completely understands and loves you so much that you're not responsible to repent. That word has been erased out of the word of God, erased out of the church. Repentance. If we truly believe God's grace is so great that we don't need to ask for forgiveness or repent for our sins, then God is so loving. Why do we even talk about sin? If God's love is so great, then why talk about sin? The reason we have to talk about sin is because God talks about sin. And you can't erase the word sin out of the Bible. You just read 1 John. Just read the book of 1 John. We talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 13 being the love chapter. But if you look at 1 John... The two words that are going to jump out to you in the book of 1 John are love. We just read them before. Beloved, let us love one another for, God is, uh, for love is of God. And everyone that loves, loves is born of God and knows God. He that doesn't love doesn't know God for God is love. That's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. The word love and the word sin. Five chapters in the book of 1 John. 27 times the word sin is mentioned. And it's very clear what God thinks about sin. When we tolerate sin, not hoping, uh, hoping not to offend, we're actually ignoring God's word and we're offending him. Because he said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. There's a solution. There's redemption and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in his love, he recognizes that we do sin. And when we do, we come running to him, not away from him. And when we come running to him, there's love to forgive, to cleanse, and to restore Every time he is faithful, it shows his faithfulness. It shows his love. The fact that we acknowledge where we've missed it and we turn and we repent shows the faithfulness and the love of God. So we're called to be loving, but in our love, we should recognize and point out false definitions. Disagreement doesn't equal hate. Differences that we have 
are not always due to injustice. Exclusive beliefs do not equal intolerance. If that was the case, then everyone would qualify as being intolerant. Even the person telling everyone else that that we should be more tolerant is being intolerant of the people that he claims are intolerant. You see that self-refuting statement? So we have to be, like the Bible says, wise as serpents and harmless as does. We have to understand the tactics that the enemy is using, but be loving enough to discuss hard issues with people. And guys, in the past, we've, ju- we've just we've steered away from that. We've moved around that. It's like, if this discussion is going to go there, then I don't, want to, I don't want to get into a place where I might offend or be offended. And it's just better to not talk. It's just better to keep your... Keep your keep, listen. Listen at this. Keep your faith to yourself. Back to the video. Shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't say anything that could help somebody. Don't tell people that they're about to jump off the cliff. Shh, shh. You can see it, but they can't see it. Shh. Just, just keep the peace. While the enemy has twisted these words, taken control of these words, and used these words to beat us down and quiet us and put us in a corner. Say, shh, you don't know what you're talking about. We've got to hear the word. We've got to hear the the voice of the Spirit of God. We've got to be quick with the word. Understand what we believe and why we believe it. And move with compassion. Jesus always moved with compassion. We're about to... We're about to celebrate communion before we leave. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. And remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.